Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Joey Lovato, the multimedia editor here at the Nevada Independent. This week, reporters Michelle Rendells and Riley Snyder sit down to talk about the mass liberation and no-cash bail movements that came to Carson to lobby legislators. Throughout the episode, we'll hear interviews from members of the movement, including Jakeda Chambers, Jesus Carbajal, and Laura Martin. We'll also hear about the death penalty and some bills going through the legislature that look to curb growing prison populations in the state. In pursuit of our mission to provide reader-supported, nonpartisan journalism, the Nevada Independent sometimes accepts sponsors of the podcast and events that we put on. The sponsors have no input into topics or content. This episode of the Indie Matters podcast is sponsored by the Nevada Mining Association. I'm here today with my co-worker Riley Snyder, and we are about to head into deadline day for the legislature. Now, this is just a really busy week where lawmakers are trying to get their bills voted out of committee by the end of the week. Uh, so there's a lot of bills that are living and a lot of bills that are dying and people are scrambling to get amendments on. It's just pretty much a crazy week. Uh, but what we really wanted to focus on in this podcast was what's happening with criminal justice reform as we get near this pivotal deadline. One of the biggest pushes this session has been to end cash bail. So there were some groups that were up in the legislature a couple weeks ago, specifically advocating on a bill to stop the use of cash uh, in the bail process because of its disproportionate effect on lower income people. There was a quite a contentious hearing uh, that Riley got to listen to a couple weeks ago. And I want to just ask you, Riley, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the ambiance was at that hearing? Sure. So um, it's funny you brought up that rally. There was a rally outside the legislature about a week before the hearing, and you had all these people and legislators like chanting like, end cash bail, end cash bail. And then the first thing they said during this hearing was, all right, this bill does not end cash bail. But what it does do is it basically makes bail the last possible option um, when it comes to pre-trial release. That's kind of like a wonky way of just saying like when a person's arrested, what happens between then and then the time where they actually go to trial, which often takes a long period of time. Are they in jail? Do they post bail? Kind of what what happens there? And so uh, Nevada, like many other states, has a uh, bail system where you have to post a bond of several thousand dollars or several hundred dollars in order to be released from prison before your trial. So that's the pretrial release. And then there's bail bondsmen who provide that service in order to, in, in return for a fee. So there's a whole kind of economy and ecosystem around pretrial release. And what this bill would do is sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of end that system, except for the worst of the worst crimes. So it would give judges the ability to set bail levels, but it makes that their last option. So they can do things like you're released on your own reconnaissance, which basically means, um, all right, you're out, you're, you have to come back to court on this date. And there can be tracking mechanisms they could track in once a week. They could have a tracking device placed on them to make sure that they're not leaving their home or their place of work. So there's a lot of other options that are envisioned in, in this bill, AB 325, which is sponsored by Democratic Assemblyman Ozzy Fumo. And to finally answer your question, um, it was very contentious. I think there's a lot of questions from Republicans, from law enforcement, the bail industry. This is a pretty significant change. There have been movements towards, um, right now in Clark County, there is a, like kind of a checklist system to 
to go over prior to people being released from prison. Um, and they're supposed to check off if like they have a cell phone, if they have like a permanent address to determine their like flight risk. So there have been efforts to, to address this that the Nevada Supreme court has tackled, but this would totally kind of upend the system. So it's one of the ones we're watching because it still has not been scheduled for a committee vote before Friday's deadline. Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, money is a huge barrier for some people and it's just nothing to other people. And, and so this would help, uh, close that gap, right? Yeah. The the example that always gets thrown around is the Marcy's Law guy who was arrested for carrying a bunch of drugs in Las Vegas and paying bail for him isn't a problem. But if you're arrested and you know, you're know you homeless and you have a $100 bail, it might as well be a million dollar bail because you can't get that money regardless. Um, so that's, that's a big part of it. That's where I think a lot of the push is coming from um, is just in terms of getting equality in the justice system because it is, it's kind of like it's a tax on poor people and in the worst sense of how the system works, where if you can't afford a bail bondsman, if you can't afford to pay that bail, then you're just stuck in jail and your life is kind of ruined. It kind of like cascades because if you're in jail, you can't go to work, you can't pay your rent. And it just makes consequences for a pre-trial, like prior to someone actually being found guilty of a crime, um, it's the punishment like before the trial actually happens. Yeah. And what we're hearing is that the bill is going to make it past the deadline. Um, proponents are, are hoping for that. As you mentioned at this point, it's Wednesday night. The deadline is Friday night and it hasn't been scheduled to date, uh, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, we want to jump to an interview right now with Jakeda Chambers. He's one of the folks from the Mass Liberation Project. This is a initiative of the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada. Uh, Jakeda is formerly incarcerated and was up at the legislature as part of this push to end cash bail. Let's hear from him. So as someone who is formerly incarcerated, what were some of the things that you observed mm. in your time in the system that, you know, is, is systematically a problem? My whole shape of my incarceration was unique. I was a senior college student athlete and then went on spring break and then a fight led to a lengthy incarceration stay for me. So I was a college student and in mere days I was on a penitentiary yard. Just for one thing that will always stand out for me is the reality of a gentleman like myself. I had an end of sentence date. I was coming home, but I was immersed with people who were they had life sentences. So it's just two different... It's really two different beings, two bit different cultures. So um, our Department of Corrections in this country, I think they can find a way of how to house um, inmates in a better situation. Also, avoiding recidivism. There's actually minimal effort in helping uh, men and women avoid coming back to incarceration. Um, I came home from prison in August of 2004, and I've never returned. And I really attribute a lot of my success with my own regiment. You know, nobody was telling me how to not be the 81% that come back within three years. So, From your time in a prison, what do you think needs to be available to the people that are there? You know, that's such a fabulous question because a lot of the needs are basic humanity. For instance, um, I have a direct investment and passion for juvenile justice. And I feel when 
those kids, I don't need you to be in solitary confinement ever. It's too much mental anguish for that undeveloped brain to go through. A, a juvenile should never be in extended um, confinement of solitary confinement. Basic human touch is very, it's pivotal to a person still holding on to their humanity. I'm not even going dignity, just humanity having that human touch and then you get into um, a belly of a beast of an incarceration where touch becomes absent from a person it really dehumanizes the person so we have to find a way to um, have circles um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in circling up even with our youth spending time with them in circle let them talk we're our own medicine our stories are our own medicine and, and that's what um, we could pull out of incarceration find these uh, find it a common place for a gentleman to help other gentlemen make it through that tough time. What was the process of when you left prison? Uh, a lot of times we hear about the barriers, maybe the inability to vote, um, the inability to just participate in society because of employers preventing uh, people who have a, a felony on their record uh, from getting a job. What was your experience in trying to get back into the community? society's views of formerly incarcerated people oftentimes we wear it like we have stigmas that we hold on to that's a challenge once you repay your debt to society or you know oftentimes people can do criminal acts and never even see incarceration depending on your background or your financial means That, again, was Jakeda Chambers, a fellow with the Mass Liberation Project that's sponsored by the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada. going to switch gears a little bit uh, because there are some other bills that we don't think are going to make it through. And one of those is the proposal to ban the death penalty. You know, we came into this session after the episode with Scott Dozier. Uh, it was going to be Nevada's first execution in 12 or 13 years. It stopped and started, and there were lawsuits from the pharmaceutical companies that didn't want their product used in an execution. Uh, but Scott Dozier, you know, an inmate who had been convicted twice of killing people, did want to die. He was asking the state to, to kill him. Uh, so it was a long saga, a lot of money, a lot of effort from the state and local jurisdictions and the Department of Corrections as they, uh, you know, tried and were not able to carry out this execution. Scott Dozier uh, did uh, die by suicide earlier this year. But there were multiple bills introduced this session to try to end the death penalty in Nevada and bring Nevada in line with, you know, a couple other states that, that have no death penalty. But it's become increasingly clear that those bills are not going to make it through. In one example reported by the Nevada Current, Ozzy Fumo, who is sponsoring one of the death penalty bills, said his bill's not going to get a hearing. Uh, Chairman Steve Yeager pretty much uh, affirmed that that was the case. That's his committee. And then there's one on the Senate side, and we're not getting uh, definite answers on, on that bill, but we don't believe that's going to get scheduled for a hearing either. This is a heavy lift, of course. I mean, it's going to attract headlines if they end the death penalty. And I think um, in some ways it's difficult to take, you know, a step that's going to, to gather so much attention. Riley, do you have any observations about 
what you're seeing in, in Nevada's effort to end Well, I'm, I'm just curious to ask you, Michelle, because you've done a lot of reporting on this issue. Who who are the elements that are opposed to the death penalty? Like, we've pulled this issue before. A lot of Nevadans support keeping the death penalty. Who in the criminal justice world wants to keep the death penalty in place? Well, I think one of the things that I hear is that it's a lot of the district attorneys are able to use the threat of death to really be part of their negotiations. I mean, if you have that in your toolbox, uh, you can kind of get a lot done in terms of getting someone a prison sentence. You know, you can you can put the threat of death on the table and get them to negotiate a life without parole sentence or something to that effect. So I think removing that option is something that people, certain people don't want to give up. We also saw just a really emotional hearing in 2017 on any of the death penalty. You know, there were victims' families on both sides of this issue, folks that, you know, had had a loved one who was killed and said they, you know, are, are just devastated, of course, that they cannot have this person back in their life, but they didn't want to have another person, you know, as, as revenge, retaliation, whatever you want to call it. And then other people that have gone through that and do want that as an option. So I think it was just a really intense hearing and ultimately that went nowhere last session and Nevada maintained the death penalty in the 2017 session. Mm -hmm. In this session, both of those bills you mentioned, neither of them has been brought up for a hearing. And in in my mind for legislation, I like to think like getting um, a hearing is like your first down. It's not a touchdown. You didn't get the bill passed, but it's like, it's a progression marker. So we didn't even get to that point this session. Why why do you think that we didn't even get there uh, when we did in 2017? One of the things we heard from Assembly Speaker Jason Frierson, I mean, I mean, even before the session began, he sort of projected the idea that we're not sure we're going to do that this session. Even though we have Governor Steve Sislak, who said he opposes the death penalty, I think that you have so many things that you could put your political capital into, and this potentially is seen as the thing that would put them over the edge, um, maybe be be too extreme, get too many headlines. And at a time when Nevada effectively doesn't have the death penalty, um, you just see with the Scott Dozier case how difficult it was to get anywhere with that. They were not able to put him to death. Nevada has not had an execution in 13 years. Uh, So I think all these are at play. And and when they balance that with other things that they want to get done that are going to be potentially politically costly, I think it falls to the wayside. Yeah. And it's interesting you brought that up. That was my last follow-up question. Um, But the sense that like we don't really need to ban the death penalty because it's sort of impromptu um, not taking place. What are the factors that prevent it from happening right now, even in a case like with Scott Dozier, where he very clearly stated, I want to die of my own like reconnaissance? What, what's stopping um, the state from carrying out those sentences? One of the things is Nevada's law on, on capital cases, you know, the, the requirements uh, that a case has to have, the many opportunities that you have to appeal something. It just makes it so that while we have, you know, 80 people on death row, the chances of any of them actually being executed without volunteering first is very low. Um, and that's in contrast to other states, Texas or some of these states in the South in which executions are happening frequently. Uh, so Nevada just the structure of the law plus the situation that's going on in the pharmaceutical world right now where all these countries, a lot of them are, you know, have a presence in Europe where this is not uh, an acceptable practice. Um, 
And, and generally, they're kind of forming this united front, trying to prevent their products from being used in executions, kind of probably seeing it as not good for business and frowned upon in certain other markets they're in. So those are sort of controlling factors in in Nevada's death penalty right now. Mm-hmm. Another big legislative priority is a bill called AB 236. This is the huge bill that's attempting to enact the recommendations of a group called the Crime and Justice Institute. This was a, an entity that came in, they provided some staff support, and they basically helped Nevada leaders in the criminal justice world do a top-down review of what was driving the increasing prison population. They came up with 25 different recommendations on how Nevada could slow the growth of its prison population, cut potentially $640 million off of its prison budget over the next 10 years, and just kind of change the paradigm. That was not an easy lift, even uh, during that process of coming up with the recommendations. There were a lot of prosecutors and law enforcement who were strongly against some of the recommendations that came out of their own committee. But in the end, the committee approved it, advanced it, it became a bill. uh, And now all these uh, stakeholders are trying to hash out where they're at on on these recommendations. Um, So right now we're seeing a lot of behind the scenes work on this bill. We already had a public hearing that was really intense. And now folks are really trying to figure out what's a compromise that we can live with. So uh, AB 236... We're likely going to see that uh, come up for a committee vote at the end of the week. The big question is, how far is it going to go? How much of these recommendations that were developed during the interim is really going to, to come to pass? I want to throw it to an interview with Laura Martin. She is the director of the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada, and she kind of is going to talk about why her group has embraced uh, the Mass Liberation Project. Why is this an, a key initiative for, for that group? Um, so let's go ahead and hear from Laura. We're here with Laura Martin. She's executive director of PLAN, which is the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada, and which is really running the whole Mass Liberation uh, Project initiative. Um, Laura, there's a lot of bills going through the legislative session, mm-hmm. um, including the, the giant uh, one that came out of you know six months of study of the prison system and what were the, the root causes of that. Um, there was a lot of opposition to that bill. Uh, you got the police and you got the district attorneys going, uh, you know, testifying against that, raising concerns. How confident are you that something significant is going to happen this session? I don't know if confident is the word. I just feel clarity around what we're doing just because I have I have confidence in our people. I have confidence in organizers. I have confidence in people who are directly impacted by the criminal justice system and by police violence. You know, this is our 25th year anniversary for PLAN. When we started, we kind of were in the same situation with the first time a Democratic governor somewhat palpable legislative body and I just feel good that we're in that place again that people kind of see that okay the people are paying attention this is what they want us to deliver not just because we can because this is what is just it is not right that there are so many people sitting in jail simply because they cannot afford to pay bail why do we do that to people so we've got the big criminal justice bill, but there's also a lot of bills going the other direction. Um, you know, I, I was listening to hearing this morning about one that would raise, you know, a penalty for solicitation of prostitution from a category E to a category B, which is life in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, 
are you concerned about that? Is Plan taking a position on any of these efforts to kind of raise penalties for other crimes? You know, there's so many different things, so many different different definitions. I think in general, we kind of hesitate when, especially the DA's office, is trying to come up with new ways to put people in jail or new ways to felonize people, new ways of stripping people of their citizenship by giving them a felony and they can't vote. Um, and so we always hesitate on that. But of course, we always want justice for people who are victims of crime. Um, but we also have people who are victims of crime who are members of the mass liberation cohort who understand that even though I myself am a victim of crime, I know that the criminal justice system is unjust and we're not going to arrest our way to peace. Um, I think, you know, year after year we hear police ask for more money for more cops and we give them more money for more cops and there's just more violence. And so we really need to start looking at what are some of the root causes of these issues. Is it lack of education? Is it lack of a job? Is it lack of mental health services? What is it that's going to help us kind of break this cycle? I was looking for new ways to put people in jail. You guys have been doing the Mass Liberation Project for the past couple short years. while, yeah. couple years. What prompted the focus on this issue? I think it was really the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, not just exposing police violence, um, but also exposing fines and fees of municipalities. And through that process, of people kind of cutting the issue and researching, seeing that more than a president, more than a congressman, your district attorney has a lot of power. And so we saw in Chicago, Kim Fox oust a really bad district attorney. We saw in Philadelphia, a very progressive district attorney be elected. And so there was a movement of groups where they live in counties or wherever municipality has a district attorney that has high incarceration rates. This kind of movement to get get your district attorney to recognize what is happening, and if not, replace them. I want to share an interview that we did with Jesus Carbajal. He's also involved in the Mass Liberation Project and was up in Carson City advocating for uh, some of these criminal justice reform bills. Jesus had a story about how in his own personal life, uh, he was falsely accused, and he's still dealing with the repercussions of that. So let's hear from Jesus about what happened to him. We're here with Jesus Carbajal, who is one of the members of the Mass Liberation Project initiative, coming up here to Carson to talk to lawmakers. Jesus, why is the issue of mass incarceration so important to you? Well, because, you know, we, we see more and more innocent people or even people with small charges get incarcerated. It, it, I think it, being incarcerated has become a business now, you know, that people that are involved with in, in these institutions are benefiting from. Yes, have the person be accountable of what they've done, but release them. You know, it's like in my situation, I was wrongfully accused. Uh, people say that I'm lucky that I didn't do 5, 10, 20 years in prison. Even though my life has been destroyed, the, the, these matters need to be addressed. They need to be fixed. Are there particular bills that you're working on this session or, or particularly passionate about uh, that the legislature is dealing with? Uh, the, the, one, the ones that really tie to me is the one that uh, Steve Yeager is pushing right now for exonerary compensation. 
I was exonerated of some really disturbing crimes. My life was destroyed in one day. I was publicly uh, humiliated through a lot of different media outlets where they put my mugshot, um, and I was just brutalized through the media. Um, you know, after the fact that I was exonerated, no one told me why. I found out through a media source five days later of why I was why I was being exonerated. Um, I was left unemployed without a vehicle because they took my vehicle, which in reality, uh, they didn't match the description of the vehicle this person was using, but they still took mine. Uh, they dumped it into a toy yard. They didn't tell my family anything about it. Then we got a big bill that we couldn't afford. So now I'm stuck without a car and I still have to pay for it. Well, that's about all the time that we have in this week's episode of the Indie Batters podcast. We've got to get back to tracking those bills right before this big deadline. So uh, thank you for listening to us. I want to thank our podcast producer, Joey Lovato, who is always making us sound podcast smooth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. That's all the time we have for this week. I'd like to thank Riley and Michelle for being on, as well as our guests, Jakeda Chambers, Jesus Carbajal, and Laura Martin. We want to know what you think. If you have ideas, criticism, or even praise for the podcast, you can email us at ideas at theenvindie.com. And make sure to read our website, thenevadaindependent.com. You can also follow us on social media like Facebook for updates on events and stories, Twitter for minute-to-minute updates, and Instagram if you'd like to see pictures of our cats and sometimes pictures of stories. And of course, make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, every podcast outlet you can think of, we're on it. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer and editor of Indie Matters. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Music